Hey, I'm Pastor Paul Watson, and you're listening to the official podcast of the Downtown Vineyard Church. At DTV Church, we're followers of Jesus, and we believe that relationships are holy and that God loves everyone. We are so excited that you're a part of our online community of faith, and from wherever you're listening, I hope you are blessed by this message this week. Good morning. You guys doing all right? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. Thanks. You know, here's one of the things I want to, I want to pause on for a second. Like, I, I, I like to, if you haven't picked up on it yet, I'm always giving language to who we are as a church. Because I think sometimes it can get, you can get lost. I think you can look up one day and go, hey, I, I'm not, I don't even know what our church is heading for, what we're believing. So, so we, we've adopted 75 kids from Chapita Elementary this year. Here, here's why we do that. Because we can adopt them from a lot of places, Right. I don't know if you've ever heard of Good Samaritan, um, Samaritan's Purse. They do uh, Christmas boxes, and different organizations do different things. And you could do Compassion Kids. We've done that. We, we've done that um, just back in November, really, actually. But there, one of the reasons we do this is because we want to be, I say this all the time, we want to be a church to our community, not simply a church in our community. It's completely different for me. Like, it's this passion. I'm a GJ boy. I grew up in Grand Junction. I got, I got, um, I got, I shouldn't share that information. There's a lot of stories that come out of my life because I'm a GJ boy. I remember uh, just a few months ago, I was at a pastor's event, and they were asking us where we pastor, and I said, I pastor Grand Junction. And they said, like, where'd you grow up? I'm like, I grew up in Grand Junction. And all these pastors around the table went, you pastor in the same town you grew up in? I'm like, yeah. They're like, I could never do that, right? Because it's a catch-22. People know your story. People know your family. People know your history, right? And it's also a blessing because people know your story. People know your family. People know your history. And when they get to know your story and they get to know your family, get to know your history, all they can say is, boy, there's nothing but Jesus could have saved that boy, (laughs) right? And so, so we, we get this blessing. We get this blessing of, of being a church to our community, not simply a church in our community. That's why we adopt kids from a local elementary school. That's why we don't adopt uh, other places, because we want to impact the lives of people in our community. Um, on Christmas Eve, we do this thing. I started doing it a few years ago, where we bring in local organizations and we bless them. This year for Christmas, just at our Christmas Eve service, we're going to bless the pregnancy center. Yeah. Just such an amazing organization. Such an amazing organization, the pregnancy center. We think that Christmas is probably the right time to bless them, to impact uh, their organization. So that's what we're going to be doing at Christmas Eve service. So we're hoping that you're going to be there. It's going to be one service, 3 o'clock. Christmas Eve, and so it's, uh, we do it in one hour, so that way you can make plans to get home and have whatever you do for Christmas Eve, okay? So that's the role. So we're in this new series. The new series that I'm starting today, it's going to be a four-week series, and then I'm going I'm to walk you through what's coming up next. So then the series after the messy message is called, um, what's, What Now? And it's this idea of when God does something in your life, what do you do now? And the reason we make videos, so, so that you know I make these videos, I try to give you four weeks notice so that you can know what the next series is, it's not information. I, I want you to have the information, but I think there's this space when you know where we're going as a church, you get to invite people along for the ride, right? 
you get to invite people along for the ride. And so there's this space that we're going to be walking into in January. And we're saying, what's now? What now? What do you do once God does a miracle in your life? What do you do once God shows up in power in your life? What do you do once you know who Jesus is? What now? And then we're going to go from there. I haven't ever done this before. We're going to go from there and we're going to do an 11-week series for, for Lent. And it's called The Journey. And so we're going to take 11 weeks and we're going to talk about the journey of the cross. And we're just going to walk through the life of Jesus and his journey to the cross and how we should walk with Jesus and how our life should journey with Jesus to the cross. And so that's where we're heading for um, 2023. So here's where we're going for today. Um, Isn't it amazing? I don't know if you feel this. I know I feel this. I feel like Christmas should be a spectacular season. I feel that. Like I, like, I come in every year with Christmas like, like, man, I can't wait for Christmas. I love this time of year. I love Christmas. I loved um, helping decorate. I loved watching the auditorium get decorated. Joni is amazing. Joni put together a team. Her team was amazing. And I love all of this. Here's the other crazy part about Christmas. Well, I think it should be spectacular. I think it should be amazing Christmas is often really messy and really hard. Like, like it just is. It's both and. It's both amazing and it's both difficult. It's both spectacular and you look forward to it. Like on Christmas Eve, I'll wake up around 2 o'clock in the morning because I'm giddy around the Christmas day coming and I'll put myself underneath the Christmas tree or real close to it and turn on the fireplace and just watch the lights and it feels super magical and I'm 54 and I know that that's what four-year-olds do, but I love it. And at the same time, Christmas can be really hard. It's both. It's both. And so we're going to paint this really neat picture about how Jesus shows up in the middle of our mess. And how Jesus continues to show up in the middle of our mess. And the irony is, here's the irony. On the very first Christmas, it was spectacular. Angels showed up. It was spectacular. Wise men were a part of the story. It was spectacular. And gosh, it was messy. A baby born in a manger because they had been rejected by friends and family. Even though you have faith in God, your girlfriend is pregnant and you're not the father. You have to travel 90 miles on donkey in the middle of winter to get back to your hometown. And when you get back to your hometown, the people that you would be, you would be there to be celebrating with, they're not there to celebrate you. It was spectacular. And it was difficult. And so we're going to start today. And we're going to start by reading one of the most overlooked passages in all of the Bible. And we're going to look at this passage. And it's not just one of the most overlooked passages in the entire Bible. It's one of the most overlooked passages in the New Testament for sure. And for sure, when you read this particular book, my guess is almost every time you flip past this particular passage and say, let's get to the real stuff. It's Matthew chapter 1. If you're not familiar with Matthew chapter 1, in just a second, I'm going to start reading it and you're going to think to yourself, oh, come on, dude, let's get past it and let's get to the real stuff. 
And literally, this is where Matthew starts his story, and this is Matthew's view. So Matthew starts not with angels, not with shepherds. Matthew starts with the genealogy of Jesus, the family history of Jesus, which is a really kind of interesting start to any book because Everybody knows that your first three or four minutes of anything, a movie, a book, are kind of called your capture moments. You want to come out with a bang so you grab people's attention. And Matthew starts off like this. This is the record of the ancestor of Jesus, the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. Now, that's a big statement. We're going to pause there for a second because there's something that you probably, I don't know if you need to know it or not. It's Bible nerd knowledge is all it is, is that there's two, in the Gospels, there's two places that go through the genealogy of Jesus. Matthew goes through it, and Luke goes through it. Here's why that's kind of important. Matthew is a Jew, and Luke is a Gentile, or he's he's Greek, okay? Matthew uh, has a patriarchal view of Jesus, because the Greeks were interested in matriarchal view. So when, when Luke writes his book about Jesus, he's writing from this matriarchal view. He's writing from this like, and Jesus, and, and she came from, the, he, he was born from Mary. And Matthew is saying, and this is Jesus, this is Joseph's boy. He, he's talking about the father. He's talking about dad's lineage. And so he goes on to say this, and so just bear with me for just a second, because it just goes on and says, and Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac was the father of Jacob, and Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. And you said, okay, well, that's interesting. It is. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Aminadab. Sorry, Aminadab. Aminadab was the father of Nishan. Nishan was the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon whose mother was Bathsheba, the widow of Uriah. Solomon was the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam was the father of Abijah. Abijah was the father of Asa. Asa was the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was the father of Jehoram. Jehoram was the father of Uzzah. Uzzah was the father of Jotham. Jotham was the father of Ahaz. Are you enjoying this so far? This is spectacular. This is spectacular. Ahaz was the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was the father of Manasseh. Manasseh was the father of Amon. Amon was the father of Josiah. Josiah was the father of Jehoiakim and his brothers born at the same time of the exile of Babylon. After the Babylon exile came, I can't even say his name. We'll give it a shot. Jehoiakim. And Shatil, and Shatil was the father of Zerubbabel. <laughs> I'm dying here. Matthew, you're killing me. And, and, and this is why nobody preaches on this passage. 
Because everybody's like, why would you preach on that? Even as I was talking to my friends this week and I was telling them what I was going to preach on, they're like, why would you preach that? You're going to find out why. Zerubbabel was the father of Abad. Abad was the father of Eliakim. Eliakim was the father of Azor. Azor was the father of Zadok. Zadok was the father of Achim. Elad was the father of Eleazar. Eleazar was the father of Matin. Matin was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary gave birth to Jesus, who's called the Messiah. And all those listed above, including 14 generations from Abraham to David, and 14 generations from David to Babylon, and 14 generations from Babylon to the exile of, uh, uh, to the Messiah. Matthew just laid out Jesus' family. Here's why that's really important. Because can we all agree, and if this is true for you and the person is in the room, play it cool. Family's messy. Like, family's messy. Christmas is awesome and family is messy. Christmas is awesome and family is hard. Christmas is awesome and family can make it difficult. But here's what just happened. I want you to take away hope from this passage. Because while we can all sit here and we can say Christmas is awesome and family can be messy, here's what I just read to you. I just read to you. Matthew is reminding the reader The genealogy of Jesus reminds us there are no perfect families. That should actually be great hope this morning. That the Christmas story, the story of Jesus, the genealogy of Jesus, is this powerful reminder that Jesus came from a messy family. Jesus' family was messy. There are no perfect families. And yet this is what God uses. God uses imperfect families for his kingdom. The reason that should be so much hope is because sometimes we look up and we just look at our families and we're like, my family's a mess. My family's like a mess. You know, here's the genealogy of Jesus and in the middle of the genealogy of Jesus, and when I say in the middle of it, from the beginning to the end, It's filled with patriarchs. It has kings in the lineage. We have prophets. And right in the middle of the prophets, we have prostitutes and murderers. We have polygamists. Solomon, who's supposed to be the wisest man ever, had 365 wives and 700 concubines. Really wise. (laughs) Every man in here is like going... Oh my God, what are you doing? Right? We had paupers and peasants. Jesus was working in the middle of all of that. Here's what's awesome. Not only was Jesus working and God working in this family, this lineage, this genealogy, But Jesus has been working in your family before you were a member of your family. God has been working in your life before you had breath in your life. There's no perfect family. 
because there's no perfect people. Do you get that? There's no perfect families because there's no perfect people. There's no perfect families because there's no perfect people. Paul writes about it in Romans chapter 3. And this is always amazing to me because we know that families aren't perfect, but in somehow we think that our family's supposed to be perfect. That sometimes we come before the Lord and we're just like, Lord, I don't even know what to do. Man, my family's a mess. And yet there's, there's almost shame around that. And yet Jesus' family was a mess. Not just that it was a mess in the history. You do realize that Jesus' family was a mess the day he was born. He was born into a messy circumstance. It didn't like, like get better the day he was born and all of a sudden Joseph and Mary got this great reputation. And they're like, oh yeah, you're Jesus' parents. No, no, no. They literally said, oh wait, wait, you're Jesus Aren't you the son of that carpenter? The guy who didn't amount to much? Like, you're the son of the carpenter, right? You're Mary's boy, right? Like, Joseph wasn't your daddy. And yet, that's the promise. Jesus was born into imperfect circumstances. And yet, Jesus' birth was perfect. It was the most perfect birth of all births ever, right? And then Paul writes to the church of Rome. He says, you do know that we're all included in the kingdom of God and that everyone, for everyone has sinned and everyone's fallen short of the glorious standards of God. I just think that's such a powerful passage, especially around Christmas, to know that we come into these moments where we're expecting perfection, but none of us are perfect. We're expecting perfection, but Jesus wasn't born into perfection, although he was perfect. But we are all imperfect, for everyone has sinned. All have fallen short of the glorious standards of God. One of the most convincing things that you will find in Scripture is this. The reason why Scripture is so convincing is it doesn't paint a picture of perfect people. Have you ever noticed that? Like when we tell the story of Jesus, Matthew's starting off with the story of Jesus, and he's talking about how imperfect Jesus' genealogy was. That the reason that we can trust Scripture is because we get to see that God is perfect, and that humanity is imperfect, and that we have broken lives and we come from broken families. Scripture tells us as much about people's failures as it does their fortunes. King David, scripture says, was a man after God's own heart. And yet King David is listed in this genealogy. And when it comes to King David, do you know what it says? It doesn't say King David, the man after God's own heart. It says, Jesse was the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba. Who was Bathsheba? Uriah's wife. That's what it says. Was, was the father of Solomon, Bathsheba, Uriah's wife. Not David's son, Uriah's wife. King David, a man after God's own heart, sees this lovely, beautiful woman taking a bath out on her balcony. He calls her up. He sleeps with her. And then to cover it up, he ends up killing her husband. 
That's who King David was in the genealogy of Jesus. Solomon is, bro- is born into a broken family. Solomon was the man after God's own heart, too. The wisest king to ever live. 365 wives, 700 concubines. In the lineage of Jesus, which was done from a patriarchal standpoint, we find that there's four women listed in the lineage of Jesus. Two of them were prostitutes, and one of them had an affair with King David. And there's this lineage that that Matthew is trying to draw out, and he's trying to say, hey, we have this family story, we have this history. And the incredible part in all of this is that Matthew is also showing that from Abraham to Joseph, these were all broken people who followed God deeply. You know, one of the things that I love about my family lineage is that there's a piece in our story. And it's the same for your story too. It's not just my story. That I get to see that broken people get to follow, follow and fall in love with Jesus deeply. When I look back at my family lineage, and I get to see how God worked, I get to say that we have a story of God. We have a story of following God. Broken people discovering Jesus. Broken speak people discovering Jesus' love for them. You don't have to be embarrassed of your family history. You don't have to be ashamed of your family. You don't have to pretend like your family lineage is better than it really is. Because the story of Jesus tells us that God redeems families. If you're keeping points, that's point number two. The wonderful thing about this particular passage... Matthew chapter 1, as it draws out Jesus' genealogy, Jesus' lineage, it speaks to this real incredible point that God is the one who redeems families. In the genealogy of Jesus that I just read you, it covered 1,904 years from Abraham to the birth of Jesus. It covers the rise and fall of Israel. It causes it follows their rise to power, and then it follows their rebellion. It covers two different enslavements, one for 400 years in Egypt, and a second one for 70 years in Babylon. And after they are brought out of Babylon, it's called the silent years. From the time that Israel comes back home to Jerusalem after their exile to Babylon, Scripture says there's 500 years where Israel did not hear from God. That's a long time. I mean, there's times where I feel like I'm not hearing from God, and I'm like, Lord, it's been 24 hours. (laughs) Come on, that's true, right? You're praying your prayer, and you're like, God, I got to have an answer. I got to have an answer by 1 o'clock, and it's 1259. And you're saying, Lord, I have to have you move. Israel didn't hear from God for 500 years. Not a peep. Not a whisper. Here's the amazing part. Is that when you read this passage, even though Israel didn't hear from God, God was still working on their behalf. God was still working on their behalf. God was still at work. God was still redeeming and renewing. 
This is why Paul also writes in Romans chapter 8, that we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes. Here's what I want to remind you this morning. When it comes to your family, maybe when it comes to you, don't lose sight. God's at work. He's redeeming. He's renewing. He's restoring. God promises that if you will keep your eyes on him, if you will keep your faith connected to him, if you will not lose sight of who he is and what he does, that we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes for them. God redeems families. I believe this. Even though I don't know all of your circumstances, I know some of your circumstances, and even though I don't know your exact situation this morning, because I do believe in the promises of God, I believe that God's redeeming your family. I don't think God's given up on your marriage. I don't think that God's given up on your kids. I don't think God's given up on you. I think God's actively at work, redeeming and restoring and renewing. I believe that God's at work and that what we do is we keep our eyes on him. We keep our focus on him. I was going through this particular passage and as I read the story of Esau and Jacob and Rebekah and Abraham, Abraham and Isaac and Rebekah, And I don't know if you remember that story. That when you read this passage, there's so many stories in it. And you have this passage where where, um, Esau steals the blessing of his brother from Jacob. I just got that wrong, didn't I? Jacob stole the blessing from Esau. See, even pastors get it wrong. But Jacob, there was this moment for Jacob where he stole his brother's blessing but then it cost him his brother's relationship. He, he got the blessings from his b- father, but he lost the relationship with his brother. And as I was thinking about that story as preparing for this message, I bet that broke Rebecca's heart. Even though she was right in the middle of it. That she didn't realize that to manipulate the situation would hurt her brother's relationships for years. And I bet you Rebecca went to her grave just knowing the mother's heart, asking God to restore her family relationship between Esau and Jacob. I bet that was constantly her prayer. I bet you that when you think about David and Bathsheba, and we read that story in passing, and Matthew covers that story in just a moment, I can't imagine what it was like to be in that home for the next two, three, four, five, six months. And then Bathsheba got pregnant, and then she had a baby, and then she lost her baby. And the amount of hurt that was in that family for years because of some moments. And I would bet, if you would go back to those moments, I would bet there was moments for David and for Bathsheba where they're like, what are we doing and how is God ever going to redeem this? And yet, because we have the ability to look back in history, we get the 
opportunity to see God redeeming something that you're not even sure if he could have. I was with my life group this week. We meet on Thursday mornings. We meet at Las Marias uh, for breakfast every Thursday morning. And we got to talk about this week. We got to talk about how, how what we get is this, that scripture is a book of history. And because of its history, we get to look back on it and see that God was faithful then. And because we can look backwards and see his faithfulness in the past, it allows us to have faithfulness and faith for the present. You see, it's true for your story too. That if you will pause, no matter where your heart's at today, and you will just think back of how God has used you and how God has moved in your life in the past, that we use our past to help center us on the present. That God was faithful to you in the past. He will be faithful to you in the present. So many of us have discounted what God can do in our families that we've lost sight of the fact that Jesus... This story of Matthew that he's getting ready to tell you of the, the life and times of Jesus. And he starts out by saying that Jesus comes from a fa broken family, but God used his family to redeem the world. That's why I believe this. And the third takeaway is this. God has grace for families. So we should have grace for our families. Isn't it hard to have grace for your family? Come on, I know you can't raise your hand because they're sitting next to you. But sometimes it's really hard to have grace for family. And literally, this story is nothing but a story of God's grace for family and God's family. And because God has grace for families, we should have grace for families. Um, Jesus' genealogy reminds us that our family story isn't over. That's good news. That God's still at work and God's grace is the great redeemer? Bernard Shaw said this, George Bernard Shaw said, A happy family is an early gift from heaven. Isn't that a wonderful saying? If your family is good, you need to thank God for that. Because a happy family is a gift from God. A happy family is a gift from heaven. Ephesians 6, 7 Paul writes this, but grace was given to each one of us. If you have a happy family, then you pause and you say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your goodness. Now, here's the irony. I think that life runs on two tracks. There's always things we can celebrate, and there's always things that we're struggling with. That at the same time, you might have one kid that's just knocking it out of the park if you have children, and then you have another kid that's struggling. And you're grateful for the one that God's given you that's blessing you, and you're also praying for the one that's struggling. Both are true all the time. The irony is that we, we want people to extend grace to us, but we struggle to extend grace to others. Have you guys ever noticed that? And people are like, I don't know why they're mad at me. Like, I don't know why they're mad at me. Like, I didn't do anything wrong. And then somebody did something wrong to us. And we're like, you know what I'm mad at them? Because they did something wrong. But we live in this life where we're wanting people to extend grace to us, but we struggle to extend grace to others. And Jesus' genealogy is Matthew saying, can't you see the grace of God at work in this family? Can't you see that how God extends grace? One of the greatest stories in Jesus' genealogy is the story of 
Jacob and his children, his 12, his 12 children. And while Joseph is not directly, uh, is not directly a part of Jesus' genealogy, Joseph's brother is. And I don't know if you know the story of um, Joseph. It's found in Genesis chapter 34 and goes from Genesis chapter 34 all the way to Genesis chapter 50. And it's this story of this family that's pretty broken. And there's this guy that has 12 children. And one of his children he loves more than the others. And because he loves Joseph more, it makes the brothers jealous. And in that story, that they get um, really jealous of him. And they want to they like get even with him. And so they decide the best thing to do is to kill him. All of us has felt like killing a sibling before. That's just true. That comes with the territory of having children and siblings. But they go through with it. And right before they kill him, one of them is an entrepreneur. And says, you do realize that if we kill him, we get nothing. But if we sell him, we can get 30 pieces of silver. We could split that. And so they sell him off into slavery. You know the story. The story uh, goes on, and Joseph ends up in Potiphar's house, and he ends, ends up eventually becoming second in command to, to, um, in Egypt, and he ultimately saves all of Egypt and all of Israel. And there's this most ironic moment that at the end of his life, he's encountered by his brothers again who think he's dead or a slave. And all of a sudden, they're standing before him. Long story short, they're standing before him, and they realize who he is. And they begin to confess their sins because they think he's now going to get even. And one of the most powerful passages in all of Scripture for me when it comes to family is Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, where Joseph stands in front of his family, and he says, don't you understand what you meant for evil God used for good? And it's just this moment where in a family, somebody has to make a decision to stop repaying evil for evil. There has to be somebody that in a moment says that, you know what, I recognize that God can use my story. I recognize that God can take all of this hardship and all of this that's been terrible and all of this that's been bad. Maybe it's alcoholism that's been in your family. Maybe it's been abuse in your family. But there's this moment where a family member has to take a stand and say, Lord, I will let you use my life, and I will stop the curse. And that when you do that, there's this moment that at some time in the future, that God gives you back your family, and you get to be the one that says, hey, listen, all the stuff that happened in the past, Satan meant it for evil, but God has now used it for good. And I will give you the grace that maybe you didn't give me. Or I will give you the grace that God gave me. No matter how dysfunctional your family is, I believe that God can use your story to save your family. Let me give you the last one. You see, I think this first chapter of Matthew, we look over it, we pass by it. But it's making this large declaration to all of us that when Matthew lays out from the beginning from Abraham all the way to Joseph, when Matthew lays all of that out, you know what he's ultimately declaring? We all get to be a part of God's family. We're all a part of the story. That Matthew lays out the, all the genealogy and he says, look at this, priest, 
to prostitutes. We're all a part of the kingdom of God, and we all get to be a part of this story. Jesus turns around and says that in these words, that God loved the world so much that whoever believes in him can be saved. Whoever believes in him gets to be a part of God's story. Whoever believes in him gets to be a part of God's family. Here's the great part about that. I love the word in that sentence, whoever. Because then I get to ask, are you a whoever? We're all a part of the whoever. I'm a whoever. I I get to be a whoever. Whoever wants to. You, You understand what that says. Whoever. Whoever wants to. Whoever says, Jesus, I want to be a part of the family. Whoever Are you a whoever? We're all whoever's, right? The family of God is made up of whoever's. Prostitutes and kings, righteous, murderers. Jesus' family. Adulterers, swindlers, liars, saints. And all of that was just King David. You guys get that? All of that was just one guy. And it was still his whole family. For God so loved the world that whoever believes in him will be what? Saved. Saved. I also love John 1, 12 through 13. But to all who did receive him and all who does believe in his name, he gives the right to become children of God. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. It's still just this invitation that says, everyone's included. Everyone's welcome. Everyone is invited. We all get to be invited. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to close. I've asked Cammie to, there's a new song that I love. And I said, Cammie, will you do that new song that I love? And so Cammie's going to come out, and we're going to close with a last song. And I'm going to let you sit for just a moment of it. At the right time, at the right time, when you feel like we've hit that moment, you're welcome to stand and join in and worship together. And then I've asked Cammie to to sing a blessing over us. You've heard the song, The Blessing. I'm just going to have her sing a blessing over us. And as she does that, when we get to that portion of the blessing, I'm going to ask our ministry team to kind of make your way down. And let's be available to pray for families. Because the Christmas story is a messy one. And it promises that God shows up right in the middle of our messy circumstances. And what we get in the Christmas story, in the middle of the mess, is we get Jesus. Joseph and Mary, right in the middle of their mess, right in the middle of their hard circumstances, right in the middle of of everything that just felt like, like tough circumstances, was right in the middle of where they found Jesus. And where they got Jesus. And so while 
The Christmas story is both a message story, it is also a message of hope. And while families are tough, it's exactly what God uses for his kingdom. And when you don't see the ways that God is working in your family, what we know through the genealogy of Jesus is, he is working in your family. He is working. He's at work. So don't give up on him. Don't lose sight of him. Don't throw in the towel. The story's not over. God is still work. He's still working. I'm going to pray over you. I know that taking a step out of an aisle and walking down and getting prayer for your family is a tough step. Just a tough step. But I also know if Jesus' genealogy was full of tough family circumstances, then my guess is most of us in this room have tough family circumstances. But I also know this. The messy message of Christmas is that God is at work and it's full of hope and that God's restoring and redeeming. And so, Lord, we lift up families to you today. Like, today we come to you and we just, Lord, we just hand you our families and we say, Lord, would you do what only you can do? Would you redeem our family story? Would you redeem the people in our family that we call family? Would you redeem our children? Would you redeem our, our spouses? Would you redeem our brothers? Would you redeem our, our sisters? Would you redeem our family, God? Because you are the hope of the world. In the middle of the mess, in the middle of the mess, is the great hope of Jesus. That you never give up on us and you never walk away from us. We give you our families and we say, more Lord, more of you. Use our story. What the enemy meant for evil, would you use it for good? In Jesus' name we pray. We all said? Amen. Bless you. Have an amazing day. And uh, don't forget, if you're here for the first time or you're trying to get plugged in, would you stop off at our Start Here corner? Susan and Scott are back there. They'll give you any information that you're looking for. God bless. Hey, thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed the podcast, don't forget to subscribe and share it with your friends. If you find this tool valuable and would like to support this ministry, you can do so easily through our DTV app or on our website, dtvchurch.org forward slash give. God bless you and have a great rest of your week.